You're listening to the Barry Egan Tapes on News Talk. I'm Barry Egan of the Sunday Independent, and tonight my guest is the very extraordinary Sinead O'Connor. Sinead, thanks for coming in. Thanks. Thanks for asking me. Sinead, just take me back to being a teenager, and I'm just thinking of, like, you as a teenager writing those songs on The Lion and the Cobra, 1987. Mm. How did those songs come to be written? Was it true that you used to walk around and write songs in your head when you were, like, a, a young kid? The way I've mostly always write songs is in my head. I don't sit down with a guitar until the thing has written itself inside me, if you like. Yeah. You know? So I kind of feel like um, some artists say, and I disagree, they say they feel it as if it's like channeling. I don't feel that songwriting is like channeling. And what I feel like is you're, you're, but you're, it's channeling, but it's a part of yourself. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's like the songs make themselves inside me and they sing themselves to me over the course of time. In bits and pieces, do you know what I mean? And then, yeah. But I think, well, I suppose now that I'm slightly older, the platform from which I write songs changed after about Shanos Nua. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, it was all you know, angst, of course. You know, the desire to scream and shout and be angry, and you know what I mean, and fuck the world. And all I, of is that it true that you were were you into Barbara Streisand as a kid? I was, yeah, very much so, yeah. And you, did you sing one of her songs at a wedding? I did. That's what happened. I was in one of these laundry places out in High Park, and then. From Condra and I sang at the. They got me a guitar teacher because they figured there was nothing else they could do with me, you know. And I sang at the guitar teacher's wedding and I sang Evergreen. Yeah. And um and I can remember it like it was yesterday. My knees. Can you give us a bit of it? You know, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it like Barbara. But I remember my knees knocking. It was the first time I'd. Well, I had sung in front of people before, but for some reason I was really terrified at this one. There was a big build up, you know. But in the congregation, I was going to say the audience was her brother, which is Paul Byrne, and also Ivan O'Shea that that were creating in Tuanua. Um, so they were looking for a singer, but I was too young. But they gave me a piece of music nonetheless and asked me to write a song for it. So they used to break me out this place every Sunday and take me down to Eamon Andrews Studios. So we did that for like three or four weeks or whatever. And then what what age were you? Fourteen. Thank God. So that song was called Take My Hand. They gave me a piece of music and then I wrote the words and lyrics and then it, it I was too young to join the band, which I was furious about. <laughs> and they got the more beautiful blonde, you know, Leslie Daddle. <laughs> and I hated her for about five minutes. Yeah. But that became their first single then was that song, Take My Hand. So And was Barbara how did how did Barbara develop in your head? Why were you into into oh, her? Geez, I suppose in the seventies in uh, in Ireland in early eighties it was all musicals on TV, as you might remember. Yentl you know, and was that? A- no, no, it was the earlier ones like you know what do you call it? Hello, Dolly and all that yeah. stuff and um, Funny Girl and stuff like that. So like there was nothing but musicals on TV when I was growing up. And lots of them were Barbara Streisand musical, and she was just so beautiful and so perfect, and her voice was so perfect, and her nails were so perfect, and she was just gorgeous and everything about her. Was so just, did you want you know. to be Barbara Streisand when you were 14? No, it's not that I wanted to be her. There was loads of singers I loved that I was influenced who by. Who else did you, you love? Um, in terms of who was I influenced by in terms of the way I sing, I think there was people like herself in terms of volume and, yeah. and dynamics. Like what I liked about Barbara was this whole whisper to scream thing, you know what I mean? Then there was Chrissy Hind, I think, was a huge influence. Also Bob Dylan, there are elements of that on, on the first record. There, um, also David Bowie that he had such a great freedom to his voice. Do you know, he had no restrictions in his voice. Yeah. It was like a bird that fucking flew everywhere, you know what I mean? And so there were, there were elements of that, not that I would compare myself to those singers, but they were definitely in the first and first album, there were definitely huge influences of those singers in terms of how I was using my voice or attempting to. You know? Yeah. Um, 
But as I say, any uh, teenagers, you know, mostly what they're why they're writing or what they're writing about is because they're completely fucked up in the head and there's something they need to get off their chest. And I was no yeah. Can you can you remember you know? when you realised that you could actually sing and sing well? I think maybe about three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, I don't know. I, I was singing since I was little. I would, I, you know, the fact I first did something with Intu Anu, it, you know, as I say, that's not the first time I stood in front of people. I was singing in front of people since I was tiny. Yeah. It never struck me whether I was good or bad. Your wasn't mom was the point. a singer, wasn't she? At the they, my, both my parents were amateur singers. Yeah. You know, was that an was Did your mother go to awful, Bel- awful stuff like? Well. No, she didn't. My father did. Yeah. My father did, and that's how I got introduced to Bel Canto because he became best friends with the teacher because they used to go drinking every Friday, you know. Yeah. But they were both amateur singers and they used to sing awful, you know, HMS pinafore stuff and that, you know. So and what, and was there a philosophy behind Bel Canto singing? Yeah, it means beautiful singing. And what it is, uh, it's completely different to any other style of singing in that it doesn't teach you notes or scales, it teaches you emotions, you know, that the emotions will take you to the notes. Yeah. So it's um it's not about breathing and notes and scales and all of that kind of stuff. It's all about uh seeing the pictures, telling the story, meaning what you're saying and saying what you're meaning, you know what I mean? And being the song, basically. Yeah. And therefore never singing a song that isn't in your character. Is that why you And st- also always singing in your own accent. You yeah. Know? So with my first album and second album I'm not singing in my own accent at all. I don't start singing in my own accent until Universal Mother, which I count as my third album actually. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's because I moved back to Ireland after the second album, after the third album, after Am I Not Your Girl, um, to study with Frank Merriman. You know. Yeah. So. Um, because of not feeling the emotion in, in a song, was that why you stopped singing um, Nothing Compares to You? No, I didn't so much stop. I took a little break from it. It wasn't that I wasn't feeling it, but I'm a... Bel Canto is also could be nicely described as the Stanislavski method of singing. Yeah. You know? Everything you know is lies. Uh, yeah, and everything is, is something to use. Everything that's ever happened to you is something you can use in that night's performance. You know what I mean? But I began to run out of material, Stanislavski speaking. You yeah. know, I, I couldn't find anything. Even know, at so. 14 you were into Stanislavski, were you? Well, no, but I got into Stanislavski quite young, actually. Maybe about 20 or so, you know. So. Yeah. But, but certainly, you know, I would say from studying bel canto it's the same thing it's exactly the same thing it's a, it's the best way you could describe bel canto in fact it's just the stanislavski method of singing you know yeah say what you mean mean what you say be the song what's your motive who are you talking to who what when where why so exactly the same as acting so every night if if you're singing the same song you have to pull on something you know and i began to run out of things that i could use for nothing compares but i only all i ever do with nothing compares if that happens i just take a break from singing it for a while and then something of have some time to find something else, you know. Yeah. So I have plenty of material now for singing it. <laughs> so take me back to writing Jackie. Mm. That was a play I saw when I was about, I'd say, 15 one summer. It was a very obscure Scottish play on the telly one night. I was up late as teenagers are after the parents had gone to bed and I was eating my way through the house, you know. <laughs> like, a, like a mouse uh, or you something? Know, well, you know the way teenagers do, you know, yeah, yeah. They, won't, they won't eat anything in the day. They get up at two o'clock when the parents are gone to bed and munch their way through the kitchen and Were make mad sandwiches. And, you know, they used to be on the Hammer House of Horror and all. Do you remember yeah, that? The double yeah. bill Hammer, Hammer House of Horror. And we'd all be staying up. But I stayed up late one night anyway and... Um, this very strange play came on and it was this, it was set in Oban or one of these weird Scot- Scottish islands and um, or maybe it was an Irish island, I don't know. Some old lady anyway and she was very ancient and she was losing her mind a bit and she spent her life staring out the window and she was watching for this husband of hers that never came home, that he had been killed like 
three or three or four decades previously in a what do you call it, a fishing accident. It was yeah. one of these fishing islands. It's a really miserable story. But um, she just spent her whole time watching for him, basically. So, you know, it was inspired by that, really. It, you know, it sounds as if the character singing is a ghost, but it's not. It's it's based on that old lady. It's a woman know, who so. wanders the shore looking for she, her. Yeah, but in the play, death. she doesn't ever actually leave the house. But in my head, I wasn't happy with that. So I made her get out of the house and start wandering the beach because I didn't think it was enough to be standing by the window just waiting for him. And could, where you grew yeah. up, and was it Glenagiri? Could you see the sea? No, no, you couldn't. You could, but you, all you could see was the the great uh, mosaic of the Immaculate Conception that was above Saint Joseph Clooney School. So if you swung high enough on our swing, you could see the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> well, you wouldn't see the sea, but you you could walk down to the sea. And were you swinging but I see the sea from the... where I live now? Yeah, I would yeah. swing deliberately to see that picture. And were you writing that song as you swung on the on the swing? Oh no, 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 no! Because I left Glenagiri when I was thirteen. I didn't write Jackie till I was about fifteen. I can't remember where I was writing it, but I know that it was about that play. And yeah. I don't know what that play was called. I've never seen it before nor since, but I was just really struck by it. I suppose the rom- how long a romance could last for her. She had lost her husband in, in early days of their marriage, but, but she had always waited for the window for him. She wouldn't accept he was gone, you know what I mean? And I suppose there was something about the romance of that and how you know how, how love lasts forever, you know, all of those things, you know. Yeah. Obviously, being a teenager, I was quite romantic as well, you know. Are you still romantic? Yeah, I think I am, despite myself, yeah. I try to be more cynical than I really am, Yeah, you know, but it doesn't work. <laughs> Tell me, just take me back to writing Troy. What age were you when yeah. you wrote that? Uh, I was a bit older when I wrote that. The ones I wrote when I was like 15-ish, 16-ish were, were like Drink Before the War, Never Get Old, and Jackie... And I remember Never Get Old and and Drink Before the War, writing those at Newtown. And Drink Before the War was about the headmaster at Newtown who was a terrible snob and didn't like me making music. Really? Yeah, and he did everything he could to, to scupper me making music, you know. And um, he was an awful snob. And he said to me one day in front of the whole, he tried to humiliate me, which didn't, in front of the whole school. He goes, if you want to make music, you're going to spend the rest of your life going in the back door, you know. And he didn't realise, of course, that would be the greatest fun of all, you know. Yeah. And um, he tried to, he, he got my parents to try to stop me taking my guitar to school. It was a boarding school and stuff like that. So I used to sit outside his house, which was on the ground smoking, to try to get expelled. And the fucker wouldn't expel me or anything, you know. But I wouldn't do anything but music, you know. So anyway, that was about him. And then Never Get Old was about a boy at school there that I went out with for about five minutes. He was the handsomest boy in school that all the girls wanted to go out with him. And he had this hawk, you know. A hawk. Yeah, his name was Ben Johnson. I've seen him since then, or at least we've spoken since. And um, he had this hawk. Yeah, that he, he had a trained hawk. That's good. He, cool. he took me out one day. Yeah, and showed me how you you know feed this hawk. Well, my grandfather used to have pigeons. He was one of those guys. You know, my grandfather could send pigeons with messages, and they'd come back and all that. You know, so I was fascinated with this boy that was similar. You know, you may remember also, which I was hugely moved by. I think we all were. There was a movie when we were kids called Kess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. And um, about the boy with the hawk, you know. And so, you know, I, I kind of identified with him for that reason as well. So the song was kind of about both him and that boy in that movie in a way. Do you know what I mean? Have you seen The Headmaster since? No, I haven't. Thanks be to God. No. Yeah. Yeah. So just tell me about Troy then. Troy, I wrote after I moved to London. My mother, unfortunately, was and very selfishly died in 1985. And uh, I moved to London six months later. That's when I was given my record deal. And the song really, I suppose, is the first song I really wrote about dealing with my mother's death, you know, uh, about which I was pretty angry, actually, as one would be, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, there were a couple of songs, I suppose, in, in other records that were dealing with the same issue, but that was the first one, you know, and also that was the first one really dealing with my mother's life, <laughs> actually, as well, yeah. you know. So it was the first time, I suppose, I ever got up and screamed about, you know, what had happened, for want of a better word, you know. Yeah. And how we were all going to survive, you know. So. And w- when you sing that, that song live, w- what does mm. it stir up in you? Um, well, again, I do the Stanislavski thing. I use different things. I'm not stupid enough to go back into, you know, do you know what I mean? I don't put myself back into, you know, certain songs I don't sing, and that's often one of them, although we are doing a tour next year of the first album. We're just going to tour the, the first album, you know. But uh, to be honest, if I'm honest with you, I don't sing that song, and the reason is I don't identify with the emotion anymore. Because I'm a bel canto singer, I don't sing songs where which I don't identify with anymore, you know. So that one I don't do because I don't feel that way anymore. I got it off my chest. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think once you've spent... You How know, long did it take you to get it off your chest? Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I probably spent about 10 years going around screaming that song into microphones and that's probably about enough. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? To get it off your chest. But I am looking forward to doing it next year. But I, I, I did... I went on a tour maybe nine years ago called The Proms. And it was a shitload of money, so I sang that song every night. But it was great because I did the Stanislavski thing. I had to come up with different things. So if I were to sing it, I wouldn't be How putting myself back to my like mother, you know. The Stanislavski thing, okay, imagine you're getting a load of money and that's the... No, no, no. What I'm saying is, you know, it was a good incentive to sing it was the fact that I was getting paid a shitload of money. But in order to do a good job, I wouldn't put myself back into a traumatising situation. I would invent something else in my head, you know. Yeah. Like I often do with Nothing Compared to You. I imagine I'm someone else singing it to someone else. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So, you know, I could do that. For example, if I was singing Troy, I could pretend I'm somebody else singing yeah. about something else so I can protect myself. Because you do. It's a very good question you ask because I wonder if other singers feel it and I suspect they do. But after gig, you'd be kind of emotional. You know, you're you're digging up a lot of emotions. It's, it is like acting and it is Stanislavski. So you're delivering emotionally. Do you know what I mean? So it is a bit emotional. Like it can be a little bit weepy the next day or do you know what I mean? A little bit... Whatever, you know, you, if you're doing your job right, uh, you know, and I often say too, if you don't come home crying, you haven't been on tour. Do you know what I mean? If you're doing your job right, there's definitely some emotional... And can the, it be the, painful the, the, to the, sing some know. songs? No, only once it ever happened to me that I burst into tears in the middle of a song and then I never sang it ever again. And again, it was a song about my mother's death, a song, a song I loved that I wrote called If You Ever, which is on Faith and Courage. Yeah, I was in the middle of fucking singing that and hadn't I stupidly dedicated it to my mother. Now, if I hadn't said that, I wouldn't have got so emotional if I just sang the song and nobody knew what it was about. But I did, yeah, I burst into tears, so that's the only time. And then I had certain songs that I know I'm going to do a good job of when I first go into rehearsals or I first go into the studio, I have to run out and cry. Like um, Streets of London was one of them. Rainy Night and Soho is another. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to be singing that at Fail and doing it on the Late Late Show in a couple of weeks. And for the first few years I ever heard that song, I couldn't even think about that song without crying. Do you yeah. Know? So that's how I know I'm going to do a good job on a song if it makes me cry, you know. But what about, I mean, the last day of our acquaintance? I mean, mm. that's an incredibly personal and, and mm. powerful, very, very raw song. Mm. Even the, you know, the lines mm. of it. Well, that was about a, rela- a breakup of a, of a, rel- of a I was going to say a religious relationship, a business relationship which had become romantic, a romantic slash business relationship, you know. I guess I was young and I don't know, I suppose it's, um, what's the word? It's not a cynical song, it's just a... I'm surprised sometimes that I was very young. 
having a, an understanding of certain things that is not common for somebody that young to understand. For example, the first song I've written at 14 is a, you know, somebody helping somebody to die <laughs> in yeah. a nice way, not in a horror, it's not a what miserable was that one song. Again? It's called Take My Hand. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the, the character is death, nicely singing to an old man, helping him to pass on sweetly. It's not a creepy or emo song or anything, you know what I mean? But how the hell is a 14-year-old writing about stuff like that for her? Or what, what is a 21-year-old writing yeah. about divorce for, you know what I mean? Or whatever, but um, yeah, no, it was more... Uh, how a, do you look back on that, that 14-year-old? Um, yeah, I, I only recently hooked up with some of the girls again from High Park, you know, and that was kind of interesting. They all had photos and everything, you know, and that, that was fascinating. I don't think I looked any different. You know, I signed my deal two years after leaving that place on exactly the same date, two years later, uh, 5th of August. I left that place 5th of August 1983, signed the deal 5th of August 1985. Yeah. So it was completely mad. But yeah, so I, I didn't see any of these ladies again until maybe about two months ago. I saw the pictures and I remembered the singing at the wedding and everything and there this purple dress on and everything. So, yeah, it's interesting to to look at yourself at that age and see see how you have not changed. Yeah, isn't yeah. it? And do you think you, you haven't know? changed? I mean, you're, you're no, like, I think um, I'm exactly the same. Because I remember um, yeah, meeting you in in London in Ealing Broadway and when I think you were about, I think it was eighty eight. Right. You still have the same smile, smiley yeah. eyes that you have now. Well, I think as you, as you, I don't know if you experience this, but as your body gets older, thanks be to God, what happens is you get younger. Yeah. Do you feel that? <laughs> you know, like the Bob Dylan lines where he said, I was so much older then, I'm yeah, younger than yeah, that yeah. now. I really feel that. I was older when I was younger than yeah. I am now. Do you know? You, you, you met him recently. What was well, he not, like? not recently. I haven't seen him for a good couple of years, a good few years. I see, oh, the last time I saw him was when he played in Cork. Yeah. But what kind of stuff do you talk about? Well, nothing really. He's a very quiet character, yeah. you know what I mean? So he's very, and you wouldn't be sitting around for hours with him, you know. It's not, you know, if you get to meet him, you're meeting him in passing or you're, you know, you're about, you're about to go on stage or you're, do you know what I mean? So, but he's notoriously a very shy character, but he's a very sweet character, very shy, but underneath it all, what my experience of him is, he's a big child yeah. in a great way. He's got the soul of a child. He's got the smile of a child. You wouldn't think it when you see his album covers, he looks really serious and everything, but actually he's not at all. He's, you know, you can tell just by his smile and the way his soul opens up when he, when he, someone he loves approaches him, someone he, his beloved, you know, among his beloveds approaches him, his family or someone he loves. You can just see this beautiful child soul open up, smiling. You know, yeah. So you know the way everybody says he's a chameleon. He is. You wouldn't know him at all. Until you see somebody, maybe one of his kids walk towards him or somebody that's been his life a long time that he trusts and love. And then you just see this beautiful, it's as if, you know, a stone cracked open and out came a rainbow. Is that, you it's know? a bit like you though, isn't you it? Know? I, I'm probably less shy, I think, you know, and I talk more and, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm less, I'm less shy, I think, do you know what I mean? And I don't think I'm so much of a chameleon either. I don't think I'm a, I don't think I, I think I, like everyone have different aspects of the personality, but probably not quite so many. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Plus, I don't have that kind of talent, obviously. You know? Well, lots of people Very, would disagree. You know, well, we'll see. What, what's, what, what of your songs are you most proud of? Actually, loads of them, but Milestones. Yeah. I think Milestones I'm very proud of, yeah. Yeah. That's it's the has that album come out yet? I just heard the demo. No, I was only bluffing. There actually wasn't any album at all. I was bluffing. 
Um, it's like Bob Dylan. I just wanted to see whether there was still any interest because I had been out for Why would you think there'd be no interest in you as a singer? I had no idea what the lie of the land was. I wanted to check the lie of the land. So there wasn't an album. There, There is an album in, in process, but there was no album called No Mud, No Lotus. That was bullshit. I just wanted to say that and see if anybody was interested and also get the track out, get the track out and see if anybody was interested in the track. But there is an album coming, but it's not going to be called No Mud, No Lotus and all of that stuff. And how did you get David Holmes involved? Um, Well, he approached me actually at the Shane McGowan, um, what do you call it? Remember Shane's 60th birthday thing? So he approached me and um, asked me to go up to Belfast and work with him. So I did some work with him there. But we're not doing the whole album together. We just did that track together. So Yeah. And is there a musical direction or that you're um, No, I'm kind of letting things s- see what happened. I had, I took four years out, so I'm only just getting back in now. So what I'm trying to do is um, really the way I work as a songwriter is the more touring I do, the more I'll write songs and the more living I'll do. You know what I mean? I've been in and out of hospitals for the last four years and I haven't done a whole lot of living, so I need to get some subject matter to write about. <laughs> do you, know do you still I mean? write songs so. while doing the, the washing up? Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. They build themselves. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't ever sit down with a guitar until the song has already built itself inside me, and then I'll sit down and try and work out how to play it, so I don't make a total fool of myself when I go to the studio or whatever, you know. But yeah, it's mostly when you're doing menial shit, you know. I don't really like to swear on news talk, but I've done it already. But it's mostly when you're going is it around like the house. Doing, or is there any? Yeah, menial shit. Normally, washing, washing the dishes, going to the toilet. A lot of singers will tell you the toilet is one of the most creative places. Maybe it seems to be that water is the common denominator. Yeah. You know, that, you know, something about running water, washing the dishes or the toilet or rain. Also for me, trains and rhythms. I live by a train station and that helps. But mostly what, what helps with me is if I'm touring because I'm immersed in music all the time and I'm listening to music all the time when I'm touring because I want to be inspired for a live performance. So I'm listening to all my idols or watching them on YouTube or whatever. And So I'm caked in music whenever I'm touring and that makes me want to write. What do you get out of singing? I get a sense of my true identity, I think would be the best way of describing it, you know. It's a bit like, um, what's the best way of putting it? I don't, yeah, I don't know where I fit in unless I'm singing and I don't feel like I make sense to anyone, including myself, unless I'm singing or until I'm singing, you know. And it's another world that you can step into where, you know, you feel you're doing something useful. I could do something useful. I'm a bit of a degenerate, not degenerate, too strong a word, you know, delinquent, juvenile delinquent, if you like. What and that's what know? the music business is for. Yeah. Well, I'm 52, but I'm a 52 year old juvenile delinquent. That's what I was going to ask you, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? So that, you know, there's not many places that you can, there's a great sense of belonging, sense of family, and a sense of, of, you know, we're all delinquents, we're all maniacs in the music business. Do you know what I mean? We, yeah. You can belong there. We're not crazy enough for the nuthouse or criminal enough yeah. for jail. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can belong there, and I like that about it. And um, I feel like... Um, Did you ever regret going into the music business? Oh, yeah, constantly. <laughs> yeah. Constantly. I still do sometimes, you know what I mean? I still sometimes wish that perhaps I had just got a regular job and perhaps I'd be able to get a mortgage. What would you be doing um, now if you hadn't? I would be working with, and I'm not ruling out doing this in between albums. I'd like to go, and there are courses you could do that's kind of, you know, that is possible to do. I would like to, I would have been a priest, and the reason I would have been a priest if women were allowed is I wanted to work with dying people as a companion. And that's something I still want to do. So I'm going to go to college and train how to do that so that in between albums where there's two years sitting around or that, that I can work as a companion for dying people. What mm. makes you laugh? 
Uh, fat slags. Because you know, I remember when going back to him when I first met you, we were, when we went to New York yeah. that time, that there was people who were shocked on the on the train to Washington when you were fat reading slags. out the fat slags and all that kind of stuff. Slags. You do still you, do you remember Buster Gonad? Buster <laughs> Gonad had all his incredibly what was it unfeasibly large testicles. Yeah, and he used to have to wheel them around in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I like fart humour and my favourite, again, I'm going to swear and say the C word, so please tell your children to leave the room if they're in the room now. But there was a section in Viz called Celebrity Cunts. Do you remember that? <laughs> and they would have like, so-and-so is a cunt because of so-and-so. That was quite good. I used to love that. Uh, fart humour, same as any musician, farting, belching, you know, talk of poop, talk of pee, you know, the usual delinquent. And what about on TV? Humor that we... musicians have, you know. Yeah. On TV, Dave Chappelle, who I'm deeply in love with, and it hurts my heart that he's married and he'll never be mine, but he makes me laugh. Just the sight of him makes me smile. I love him. I always fall in love with comedians. But I, I, unfortunately, I, I don't watch them as much as I should. I'm inclined to watch detective shows again because usually I have the hots for one of the detectives. Really? Know? Yeah. Like at the moment I'm watching Mindhunter, I've totally got the hots for the older detective guy in it. So I watch that, even though I don't like the serial killers, but I just like my big fat. Detective, yeah. Do they have to be fat? It helps. What is it about the fat? I mean, cuddly. Okay. Yeah, big and strong and cuddly, especially detectives and cops because it's all safe, isn't it? Safety and you know. W- would you knock out with a guard from Limerick or something? I would, of course, I would, if he was large enough. Okay, <laughs> so we can arrange it. <laughs> I wanted to be able to sweep me up in one arm with one arm, you know, and cart me out a window if I'm in trouble, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> True. Now, there's no point going out to Cop in Limerick, though, because I live in Bray, so it's, we won't be able to watch Dave Chappelle together. Which is, oh, hold on, that's good, because I'm in love with Dave and I don't want to watch him with my boyfriend, the cop who's in Limerick, do I? Let's face it. Well, I'm sure, look, there's a, anytime I'm in Bray, there's a, there seems to be a, a, an awful lot of cops around, or guards around. Yeah, they don't like me, though, the Bray guards. Uh, I best avoid them. <laughs> <laughs> what if you don't I'll go know? out with guards that don't know me, his best. But just going back to, you you, you put out this this kind of joke that you might be doing an album to see what kind of reaction. Well, it wasn't a joke. I, it, was, it was more a, a, yeah, I wanted to test the water to see if anybody was remotely But the, the reaction was obviously that, you know, yeah. people love you. You you know, you did Vicar Street, you're doing Vicar Street one show, now it's yeah, two yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. I texted you, said you could do, you could do actually four or five shows. Mm. Do, do you realise how, how people, how much people love you? Well, I do now. It's weird. It didn't, it didn't strike me. It's like I say, when you asked me and loads of people have asked me, when do you realise you could sing? And I don't think I really did realise it until, you know, I'm not joking when I say recently. Do you know what I mean? And it's only recently I had to start, um, I had a, let's say I had a bit of a low self-esteem issue there for a while, you know what I mean? Or something. And then I, now I don't know what's happened. I've had a, an interesting four years, which has resulted in me sort of, you know, discovering myself and all that shit, you know, all that American shit. And so, you know, I feel more comfortable. But what happened was I then had to, um, because of the upcoming tour, go back and kind of review songs because I couldn't remember the words of anything, you know, because I've been out for four years. So I had to go and look at all these songs that we were doing. And then I was like, holy shit, that's me. And that's really fucking good. <laughs> I'm like, holy God, that's me, which is really weird. It's I, When I was younger, I used to feel like quite the imposter. I didn't understand why people liked my songs. I thought they were shit. I didn't understand really? it at all. Yeah, I really didn't understand Does it. Does this go back and to And I the... remember even going to the studio with um, on the album called How About I Be Me. There's a beautiful fucking song on there called um, Reason With Me. And I remember going into the studio with that song convinced it was utter crap and that I was going to mortify myself. And if I played it in front of anybody... They were going to think I was the worst and they'd never want to, you know. 
and it's actually a beautiful song. It's a great. I like it. It's a lovely song. But was yeah, no, I'm quite quite pleased with with. Um, was there any songs you said like my catalogue? I, I can't I can't sing that anymore. You know. Well, Troy, I don't really do. Yeah. Um, Jump in the river. I don't do a lot of the first album partly because you know, as I say, I, I wrote a lot of it when I was a teenager. I can't sing that high anymore. I'm I'm 52 now. You know what I mean? So you can't. You know, your voice lowers as you get older. So you can't sing as high octave as you would. You know, when you're a teenager. So some of those are a bit difficult for me. You know. So we'll be we'll be touring that album, but I'll probably bring some of the keys down. Like Mandinka is a bit hard for me at this age. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And you know, with Troy, I don't do because I don't identify with the emotion. There's Jump in the River. Yeah, I would do because everyone can identify with that emotion, I guess. But um, there are other songs. What was that the I don't emotion? Do. It was, was the time we did it so hard? There was blood well, on the wall. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone can identify with that. You know. Was that inspired by the, what was the uh, angel heart? To, um, no, it was inspired by having it off one day when I had my period and it was really all over the fucking walls. Okay. <laughs> I fell in love with my brother's friend. I can't remember his name, Kevin. Something Did he have a hawk on his shoulder? No, no, no. There'd be loads of guys turned up at your though. gigs with hawks on their shoulders. He was very sexy and he was my brother's, my older brother's friend, so he was he was um, forbidden fruit, you know, so we had quite the, yeah, it was quite a night. What about them... How did you come to write Black Boys on, on mopeds? Oh, well, that was, I was living in London, which I had been since I was 18. And there was, a, you know, I, when I went to London, it was still a very racist kind of a place, you know, which it's not so much now, but like it was the kind of place where, you know, if there was a burglary in the paper, it would say, you know, black burglar Tom Smith or Irish burglar Tom Smith, you know, it would identify you racially as, a, you know, as opposed to the fact that you're a burglar or whatever, you know. And um, there was a horrible phase of uh, black people going missing in police stations, particularly men, obviously. Um, people would go looking for their family members and be told that they weren't at the police station. People dying on, while under arrest for things they hadn't done, usually men in their 50s or 60s, you know, and their families were going to the stations looking for them and they would do, they'd be down in the cell for three or four days and the families were being lied to. But anyway, in this culture... Um, there were these two boys one day that lived near me and they, they, they nicked their cousin's moped, you know, which technically speaking isn't nicking when it belongs to your cousin, you know what I mean? But anyway, they were on this moped and the cops chased them all up Labra Grove, but chased them because they were black, basically, you know what I mean? Assuming that they'd stolen it from, you know, somebody or whatever, but chased them so uh, aggressively that the two kids crashed into something, you know, and died. Both of them died, basically. Yeah. So, and there was no... Uh, there was no apologies from the cops or any of that kind of stuff for the aggressive nature. Uh, you know, there are different ways of catching children on mopeds and, you know, yeah. running them up Labra Grove at 100 miles an hour, you know. I mean, they, they were terrified, the two boys, and they looked behind them at one point and smashed into something, you know. Yeah. I remember there was a, another time where, when we were in New York, there was there was the time of the Lenny Kravitz <coughs> song, Mr. Cab Driver, and there was you and I, and there was a, a black friend and... The cab driver, he's the guy who said, look, the guy won't stop. The taxi driver won't stop for us. Right, yeah. And he actually, the guy pulled yeah. in and he drove off. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's all getting a bit mental over there now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you thought it was bad then. Well, this has been waiting to happen for a long time, hasn't it? Well, but it's, it's kind of... Trump is drawing out the ugly pus the that's poison always been there, there, you know. It's always been there. W would it frighten you about going over there to play gigs and the, the amount of hate and racism that's... No, because you know what? There's an awful lot of hate and racism in this country too, especially toward people like myself who are Muslim. You know, so I'd be more frightened at, as a Muslim in this country at the moment. How do you handle that? Would be in any other hate, hatred you get? 
I don't get much of it, but I see my brothers and sisters get it. My Muslim brothers and sisters. I mean, I don't. I've not experienced. I have experienced a fair bit of prejudice about hijab, you know. But I am lately seeing spates of, you know, particularly Muslim teenagers being attacked In Dunham, by Irish yeah. teenagers, and yeah. that's you know. Really, um, so you know, I would feel a lot. I don't feel that we are in any position to be judging anybody else. What do you? What you know? would you say to those boys who did that? Unfortunately, I would get very fucking angry with those boys. I would probably plaster them. I would have plastered them if I had been there. I would have physically. I'd be in jail right now. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Yeah, you know, because I don't like obviously the abuse of a woman either. On top of it all, and and they they t- took the hijab over. It's just not acceptable behavior. It's shameful, you know. Yeah, I don't really feel like we are there yet ourselves in terms of racism fully. I mean, Jesus, we even have racism toward each other, north side, south side, travellers, not travellers, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? We're, we're all a bit, you know, racist toward each other, aren't we? Do you think we're better or we're, or we're getting worse? I think it's better, certainly, than when I was a kid, but... There was no option religiously when I was a kid, so there wasn't an issue of this whole Muslim thing, you know what I mean, of this whole slagging people off for being... There wasn't abuse on religious grounds. There was abuse on gay grounds, and there was abuse on being a woman grounds, and there was abuse on being black grounds, but there wasn't, you know, abuse on what what religion you were or how you chose to... what you chose to wear in order to represent that religion, you know? Yeah. Because it was only one bloody religion. <laughs> yeah, you know? it was it was forced yeah. down your throat whether you liked it or not. But it's interesting to me, I don't know why it is that uh, it seemed to be only Muslims are singled out in this country for the abuse. There's a million different religions in this country, but it's only the Muslim teenagers that seems to be getting the, the hassle, you know? Yeah. And I think that's because they're, you're picking on the most gentle and most vulnerable. The Muslim people are terribly gentle, you know what I mean? So you're picking on the people who are not going to fight you back, you know? So it's quite cowardly. Yeah. Is there new music that you listen to other people? Uh, no, I'm real granny. I don't often listen to new music, and I I don't I except when I'm touring. In that case, as I told you earlier, I get drunk on music in terms of my heroes, live performers, and people like that. But that wouldn't be modern music, apart from as modern as I get would be Alabama Shakes. Yeah, I watch that lady a lot. I can't remember her name now, but I watch her a lot before I perform. I love her. Um, but no, I listen to like chants. That's pretty much all I listen to. I've got to that age where I listen to like Buddhist chants and Muslim chants and Hindu chants and, you know. What do you get out of it? Stuff like that. Peace. Just yeah. peace and grounding. Just peace and quiet and grounding and, and being able to just be, you know. they the, What do they say? You know, we're not called human beings for nothing. We're not human doings. But the hardest thing in life is to learn to just sit and be and do nothing. Just sit and be. And can you, you do know, that now? I can certainly do that with, with chance going on. I can do anything. I've had tattoos with chance that should have killed me, but the, t- the chance killed the pain, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I like uh, just kind of zoning out. To, uh, particularly, I love that Nam Yoho Renge Ki. I'd listen to that all day long, like, you know, so stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not really very good on the all. I mean, I hate what I hear on the radio. It's just all about sex and, or, oh, baby, I can't live without you, or, oh, baby, do me, or, you know. There's nothing, you know, it seems to me like... And, and the time you know. we did it so hard, there was blood in the wall, is okay. Well, so exactly, yeah, Once you exactly. sing it, I'm course, joking. Exactly, no, you're right, of course. Absolutely. No, but you're laughing and smiling, yeah. it's great, you know. Yeah. I don't want to be patronising. No, you know, no, you're, you're no, actually, you're right, you're right. Right. Do you still listen to NWA and, and some of those guys? I do like Gangster Rap. There's a guy I like called Ace Hood. 
I really like him. I do listen to gangster rap sometimes, but that's only when I'm really angry. He's is got he a from great Compton song called Fuck from, from It. You know, he's, I don't know where he's from. I would imagine by his videos that he's from Compton, though. But my favourite song is a song of his, which has the greatest chorus I've ever heard, which is just Fuck It. That's all he says, fuck it. He sounds like and it's really on PC. It's really horrible. It's terribly on PC. But as you know, as was the case with NWA, the more on PC the track was, the better the track was. You know what I mean? The backing track was, you know, like a bitch is a bitch. Had a great backing track, which is why women used to jump around clubs singing it. You know, the fuck the police had the better backing track, you know. But the same with this guy Ace Hood, like his video is all about he's he's standing on the roof of someone's house that he's shot them dead and he doesn't give a shit and he's he's at the funeral, do you know what I mean? Standing on the roof saying, fuck it, you know what I mean? It's completely uh, on PC, but it's brilliant. So I like that kind of music. Do you just listen to reggae and stuff still? I still sometimes listen to the Rasta stuff, but no, I've got, I've got to, uh, maybe it's an ageing thing, but I'm just chance, really, you know. You, well, what age were you when you first heard um, War by Bob Marley? Oh God, I would have been in my, you know, teens. I didn't get into reggae or rasta or anything until I went to London and then Faulkner had this friend that was um, Leroy, that this guy called Lepke that had the, the Dread Broadcasting Company and he used to sell reggae and rasta records on Portobello Road and he had an open mic on Portobello Road and all these rastas used to come along. But I, So I would have heard it around then because he used to blare, you know, everything, you know. So. And that was amazing to me coming from theocracy here because the the young rastas become along going on about fire on Rome and you know yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So it was amazing. How um, did you come to write Fire and Battle Babylon? Uh well, it's kind of one of the more intensely personal songs, I suppose. It's quite hard to explain it without exposing third party data. It was about something that happened to somebody I loved. Some I found out somebody had done something to somebody very close to me and I didn't know that this had happened. And when I found out that was the song was my reaction to it. And did they know hearing the song that it was about? Them? No, I never told them. No. Yeah. No. And do do you listen to um? Would you listen to Taylor Swift or would you find that offensive? I think I would rather poke my eyes out. Yeah. But uh, and again, it's hypocrisy because I'm the same. But it's what's put me off is not so much that I've ever heard one of her songs or not. It's all the crap in between. It's all the, yeah. you know, spats with Katy Perry and spats with it. And I realise I'm the same. I've done the same thing, of course. But that's what's made me, I'm, I'm not that interested. But no, I'm not interested in songs about anymore. Maybe again, it's my age. I'm not interested in songs about, you know, do me or I'll die without you. Or I'd quite like to make a leaflet of stuff you should never say in songs. What would be you on know? a leaflet? Well, like, oh, baby, baby is one of them. And um, but but stuff like anything that suggests you can't live without a person that should be banned because you can. But wouldn't that rule out a lot of blues stuff, the great blues stuff? Well, they don't actually say they can't live without them. Yeah, I, I, you'd be hard pressed to find a blues song that that reduces itself that low. Do you remember the script? They have this song which I can't stand because he says the best part of me was always you. I mean, well, you may as well shoot yourself then. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's your advice to the script. <laughs> shoot yourself. No, but I'm you joking, know what I mean? No, no, it's just, it's bullshit. The best part of you is not someone else. You yeah. can live without that person. You will not die. You know what I mean? And if they're not the right person for you, you're better off without them. And if they're cheating on you, well, fuck them. You're better off without them. Do you know what I mean? And, if you feel, to be honest, you know, you not that I'm the relationship expert, but if you feel like you're not, you can't live without somebody, then that person is not good for you. Yeah. Trust me. You know. You'd be great relationship counselling, you know. Well, I don't think I would because I haven't exactly been successful. I know, in that but yeah, you have to make mistakes too. Although to somebody did offer me, um, which I would have loved to do, but I couldn't do it at the time. But the Sun in England at one point, or was it in Ireland, they wanted me to do an agony column, which I would love to do because I do it quite funny. 
You could, yeah. could have called the Waggony Colin. Yeah, exactly. That's not a bad idea. In fact, my son, Yeshua, he's 12. We were thinking about me doing a podcast and we're trying to find a name for it, but that's actually a great name. Me and my son today were trying to come up with a name. We couldn't come up with one, but that, that would be quite good. You could do a car, yeah. car column as well, the Wagon Wheels. Yeah, yeah exactly. But that's Wagon. a side people don't know of you. Like, you're, you've got a great sense of humor. You love taking the piss out of yourself, you know? Yeah, I suppose I don't write funny songs, and plus, I've been busy sort of being terribly serious and. You know, but you've had things it. to be serious yeah. about, in fairness. And yeah. Well, you don't often get the chance to be funny, do you? Tell me a joke. You know? I'll tell you my favourite joke. Go on. It's completely inappropriate and they may not... Sh- well, go on. Look, we'll use it, I promise. All right. I went to the doctor. He told me to stop wanking. I said, why? He said, because I'm trying to examine you. <laughs> That's my favourite. <laughs> That's my favourite joke. What's your second favourite joke? Uh, we see they're all disgusting. I, I, you couldn't tell them. They're all. Look, we'll, we'll give it a go. You'd be shut down if I told them. Trust me. What goes through your head when you sing um, "Jealous" from Faith and Courage? I would have stayed if you w- would have been willing, but I didn't deserve to be lonely just because you said I did. Oh, well, that was a particular boyfriend I had, and I don't. I'm not a jealous person myself. Uh, certainly not romantically anyway and I, I've only thank God twice in my life had men in my life that were very jealous so he goes through my mind I suppose when I when I think of the song really and how happy I am to not be with him What age you know? were you when you wrote it? I guess I was like about 30 33 yeah 32 33 yeah I mean this is going to sound horrendously patronising but you seem in a fantastic place Yeah I think so Yeah you know? I used to be a werewolf, but I'm all right now. No, because I was worried when you're coming in the taxi. I was worried, God, you know, will I say the wrong thing or, you know. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to be a little fucking jumpy. Yeah. <laughs> Not so much now. No. No. Older. Yeah. Have you learned any wisdoms from being 52 and being juvenile? Well, I think I definitely eased off on the temper because I didn't realise I had such a temper. You know what I'm saying? I didn't intend to have such a temper and I didn't intend to be a hurtful person. But you had a lot to be angry you know? about in fairness. I know, but I and accidentally you see, you, you, you went around accidentally causing quite a lot of hurt with that temper, you know. So I'm quite pleased that, you know, one of the great things that come out of the last four years was there was so much fucking therapy and treatment and you name it that I managed to get a handle on that. Do you know what I mean? Which leads to great peace in life, you know. So it used to be, for example, in my house and Braid, driving up the fucking walls, People park over my gate the whole time I can't get out. And it used to be that I would abuse them when they got to my house. I'd be like, you fucking park out of my... Like somebody from Vince Comics. But now instead what I do, I invite them to park in my driveway instead. I must know that. If I can't get a yeah. parking space, I know where you live, I can park. Exactly. Well, just if you don't park over my gate, that's all. Please don't park over my gate. But no, that's what I'm saying. One of That's one of the wisdoms. If you said to me, what's wisdom? Well, one of them is instead of cursing people out for parking over your gate, why not invite them to park in your driveway? And do you actually yeah. invite people to park in your driveway? If they're about to park over my gate so that I can't leave my house for three hours, then yeah, I would prefer they did. And I would prefer that then that I wait for them and, you know, shoot them with my pellet Behind gun. Behind the curtain. Which is what I really want to do. Yeah. You know, what I really want to do is a pellet gun and start shooting their tires and stuff, you know. That's when the cops arrive. That's when the brave cops come back. And they're not, the they're probably the skinny ones as like opposed to the chubby ones. Yeah. No, indeed, it's the chubby ones that come around to people like me. Yeah. If they think you're mentally ill, mistaken or otherwise. You mentioned earlier about working with people who are dying. How do you think about death? Well, I hope it's a rock and roll death, whatever the fuck it is. 
Why would you want a rock and roll death? Because I'm a rock and roller. You can't just have a boring death. Would you not just die? Well, I probably will K- just K- die. Killed but, by but, death. You know, yeah. But I'd like to go out like Hal and Wolf to gig killed him. You know, like he did have kidney problems. He had to have dialysis his whole life and everything. But he did a gig that he shouldn't have done and that's what killed him. He was crawling all over the stage like Bono. You know, going nuts all over the stage. And basically he went from gig to ambulance to hospital to heaven. I mean, that's the greatest way to do it, isn't it? it? Yeah. You know, so I quite like to go that way. That's pretty rock and roll. So so is two pounds of cocaine and five strippers. That's pretty rock and roll as well. That's better than, you know, piles or whatever else it is. It's just boring shit to kill you. (laughs) I don't want to die from piles. (laughs) Oh, that's the other one that was in Viz, wasn't it? The guy with the piles. What was his name? His farmers. Do you remember? There was a character that had piles. His farmer Giles. He was always going on about his farmers. And do you tell jokes to your those. kids? I mean, not those. Kind well, of jokes I can't. I you see, I have to wait till they're twenty-one. They often ask me. My youngest one often asks me. But the same reason I couldn't really tell you any jokes here. The only jokes I know are like jokes I learned from John Reynolds and that. You know what I mean? That are just sick, disgusting jokes. I mean, that really is. Is John yeah. drumming on the, the on the tour? Uh, no, it's Carl Poppenfuss, Ken and Carl Poppenfuss, who are also managing me. But Ken plays guitar in my band, but Carl plays drums. Yeah. So. Do you ever go swimming in, in Bray in the sea? I do not. Flipping freedom. Plus, I wouldn't be seen dead in a bikini for fear somebody might take a picture of me. I have to get a burkini now, anyway, which I'd quite like. Can I fact, can I buy you, you one know? for your when is your birthday? You buy me a burkini, definitely, yeah. please. Definitely. Is that a religious thing or is it just a, your lack of self-esteem for your body? Well, no, it's just that I don't really want, you know, I don't want to be part of this whole magazine thing, you know, pictures of bare naked women judging them about how they look or don't look or complimenting them on how they look or don't look. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've managed to pride myself on only ending up maybe once or twice in the paper with my tits out by mistake. You know? When was that? I don't know. I went on like Bill Gates's yacht with you two or something, got my tits out and ended up. But they were pretty good tits at the time, so it was okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say sometimes. <laughs> well, you asked me to be funny. I know. you. We'll have to get you your own comedy show. Exactly. When do you want to start? We pay you in coffee. Yeah, anytime. Totally. I'd, I wouldn't mind, um, not a radio show, but at some point I'd love to come in. I've got, I've got one. I, I want to come in every music. week if you want. Now I want to come in and play music on a show. I want to actually DJ, but not more than maybe once, twice or three times. Yeah. Because I get bored having to play modern music. I just like to come in and play all my favourite records. What is your favourite yeah. record of your own? Uh, Milestones. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of one song, in terms yeah. of album. Lion of the Cobra? I think I'm not bossy, I'm the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Is that you? Have you, did you actually yeah. use that line to somebody? No, that was a line that was a campaign in America that was designed to um, help little girls to be a bit more assertive, you know, that instead of being called bossy, they, they have to understand they are the boss, you know. But I've definitely lived that. You know, I, I work in a business where you're not really expected to behave as if you're the boss. But in fact, you are. You're expected to behave like you're working for everybody else. Yeah. You know. Is that how you feel when you're at home with the kids, doing the, picking up socks and doing oh, yeah. the dishes and everything totally. else? Yeah. You treat this place like a hotel? Totally, although my kids are great now, actually, in terms of helping out. I make them slave around and help me out, you know. But I, they don't do anything that I don't do, but we all have our tasks around the house, you know. Like my 15-year-old does the hoovering every Saturday. That's how he gets his pocket money. And the 12-year-old helped me take the rubbish out. and It's great having, once they get bigger, you can use them. They the, do shit. The 12-year-old know. can have the guys come in with their cars. Exactly, you know. You know. 
exactly. having your front drive. Exactly. And when you're doing the dishes, you're writing a song. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Very creative house. Exactly. Just, Sinead, it's absolutely amazing that you've come in and it's great to see you. And, and you know, you really are. And I see those eyes and that smile and how funny you are. It's, you know. Ooh. Listen, Sinead, again, mm. thanks for coming in. Cool. Thanks for having me.